0: Okay, let's look at our scripture that can can be found in the bulletin. This is John 18, 28 through 40. As we continue to go through the book of John, Jesus has been arrested and he uh, is now uh, being interrogated. Uh, This is what the word of God says. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. After he had said this, he went outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you're a board game family or not. Uh, There's some people, they love to play board games. We're not necessarily a board game family. Usually it's when we go on trips, right? And, uh, you know, we've got our favorites now. And there, you know, a lot of us, we play modern uh, day favorites like uh, Settlers of Catan. I don't know if you're a Catan player or not. Uh, But it's amazing how many different board games there are now, right? Anyone play Exploding Kittens? That fantastic board game. There's all sorts of very, very strange and weird board games out there for your sadistic pleasure. Uh, but uh, I' prefer the classics, uh, like Clue. Remember? Remember the game Clue? You know, it was Colonel Mustard in the library with the gun. Uh, you know, what a great game. Uh, Clue is all about who done it, right? And you're trying to figure out, how and who it was who did it. But the one thing you're not trying to figure out in Clue is why he did it. I mean, why did Colonel Mustard go to the library and shoot the person with the gun anyways, right? Was he disgruntled? Was he angry? We really don't care, do we? You know, we look at behavior, but we very rarely examine the cause of the behavior. The heart is what's important right the Bible says that man looks at outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart and that's exactly what we're going to do in this passage because we look at three different we uh, three different groups of people in this passage the chief priests and the leaders Pontius Pilate and Barabbas and we see their actions toward Jesus but we're gonna look at the motivations behind those actions to help us understand why they did what they did. Because Jesus is really like a mirror. How you respond to Jesus shows the motivation of your heart. When the motivation of our hearts is to serve and love Jesus above all else, our actions will align with our heart. So we're going to look at each one of these figures, their actions, and their motivations. The chief priests and elders, they're the first, Pontius Pilate, the second, and then Barabbas. So let's look at the first, the chief priests and the elders. We see that uh, Jesus is led from the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, to the governor's headquarters. That's Pilate. It was early morning. And it says they themselves did not enter the headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. The Sanhedrin has met, And they have determined that Jesus should be put to death. Now, they're already functioning illegally because they've met at night, which is illegal to do. You can't try someone at night, but they really don't care. They just want to get rid of Jesus. And so in the early morning, after reaching this verdict, they take Jesus to Pilate. It's somewhere between midnight and 6 a.m. And they take Jesus to the praetorium where Pilate is. Pilate normally is in his headquarters in Caesarea. But during the Passover and the feasts, Pilate would come to help make sure that everything was calm because if anything was going to happen, it would happen during this time. And we see here that the, uh, the Jewish leaders would not enter the praetorium because they didn't want to be defiled. They, if you, uh, you know, associated with Gentiles, you'd be defiled. And you'd have to go through a, a, a washing ritual. And uh, it says here they wanted to eat the Passover. Well, didn't Jesus already eat the Passover the day before? And we need to understand that Passover is actually a seven-day feast. The first day is the eating of the lamb and, and all of those different foods, but it's the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. And so there are actually six more days of feasting, and they wanted to continue to participate in that religious observance, they didn't want to be ritually defiled. So Pilate's used to this kind of thing. We see in verse 29, he goes outside to them and he actually takes his judgment seat. He has something, it's called the bima in Greek. It's a judgment seat. Kind of think of you know, how the judge comes and he sits down on his days there or whatever. They, they took it outside and Pilate opens a trial. By saying, what accusation do you bring against this man? See, Pilate is saying to them, you want to level charges against him. You can't just turn him over to me. I want to know what the charges are. Now, this is very unexpected to the Jewish leaders because they just simply expected him to pronounce judgment. Keep in mind, they've already had a back-end conversation where Pilate agreed to send troops along with the Jewish troops from the temple to go arrest him. And so they thought they had worked all of these things out in the back end. But Pilate comes and he opens a trial. This is how the Jews answer in verse 30. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. In other words, what are you doing, Pilate? You're supposed to rubber stamp our decision. See, they don't want to have to bring a charge publicly They simply want Pilate to accept their word that he's a troublemaker because if there's a trial, it can be scrutinized. Pilate said to them, well, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. See, what's Pilate doing here? He's really humiliating the Jewish leaders. He's simply saying, I'm I'm not going to go along with what you're doing and making them acknowledge that we don't have the power to do what we want to do. You're in charge. See, privately, they've already levied the charge against Jesus. They've said to him that he's he's acting like he's a king. He's saying that he's a king, and this is bad for Rome, and this is why you have to do something. See, even though their problem with Jesus is theological, that he claims to be the Son of God, They've got to morph it into a political crime in order for Rome to do something. But Pilate sees through their ruse. He knows that they're not looking out for Rome, right? This guy's, a, this guy's a, you know, acting like a king, and it's bad for Rome, and we really care about Rome. In fact, it says in Matthew 27, 18, for Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered Jesus to him. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? In fact, if you read the Greek, it actually is something like this. You are the king of the Jews? You can kind of hear the derision in Pilate's voice. Jesus responds and Pilate says, your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What is it that you have done? He wants to really understand how he has ticked off these people, the Jewish leadership, so much. But hearing what Jesus has to say, he finds nothing. Nothing's wrong. And so he comes back out and he pronounces judgment. I find that this man has done nothing wrong. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas, Now, the reason they cried out Barabbas, it says in the other Gospels, is that the chief priest had stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So all of these things are happening because the Jewish leaders do not want Jesus. Their behavior is to get rid of him. But their motivation is because Jesus is a threat to their power and their position they basically dressed up murder as religious behavior notice how hypocritical that they are that they they bring jesus but they refuse to go into the praetorium because they they don't want to be defiled they are taking these elaborate precautions to avoid ritual contamination in order to eat the passover At the very same time, they are manipulating the judicial system to secure the death of him who alone is the true Passover. They're scrupulous to avoid defilement while they're carrying out the most vile act in human history, delivering the Lamb of God to the slaughter while they make sure that their hands are ceremonially, ceremonially clean. See, they're manipulating everybody to get their way, even to killing the son of God. No, they mirror these Jewish leaders, the chief problem of mankind, that we don't want God to be king. We want to be king instead. Each of us from Adam and Eve all the way through the ages up to us, individually, each one of us has sought to depose God, and put ourselves on his throne instead. Romans 1 puts it this way, for although we knew God, we did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but we became futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts were darkened and we exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and worship and serve the creator, creature rather than the creator. See, my friends, this is why the world is so screwed up and why we inflict so much misery on each other, because we all want to be king. And this is why people are so miserable. It's because we were designed to worship God and God alone, not ourselves or other people. We're like walking fish. You ever seen a fish pulled out of the water? So it starts to flop and suffocate. Now, that fish might have thought that freedom was finally being freed from this water out to that world out there. But true freedom is actually doing what you were designed to do. And we were designed to love God and to love others. What about us? Many of us here today listening to me are believers. And we've recognized that we are sinners and put our trust in Jesus Christ. But we should be challenged by these religious leaders who knew the scriptures better than us, at least the Old Testament. See, the question is not what we believe. The question is, how do we live? See, the religious leaders said God is their God, but their lives clearly showed that they were their God they were doing religious things to actually harm god now we don't do that but as i go about my day i have to examine and ask the question who am i living for i mean think about it we sleep let's say eight hours a day so that gives us 16 hours of waking time if i was to do the math and examine my life what percentage of my day and my thoughts are devoted to God's interests and God's kingship, and what percentage is devoted to mine? Is the predominant focus of my life him or me? Is the religious stuff I do primarily to feel better about myself or primarily to worship and honor him? I've told this story once before, so forgive me if you hear it, but it's a story about a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And so he took it to his king and he said, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or will ever grow. And therefore I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to go, the king said, wait, You are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours, and I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard this. And he said, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will, and therefore I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. And as he turned to go, the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. See, we're not the same if you are a follower of Christ as those chief priests and leaders. But do I live as if I am the king and he is the servant? Or as if I am the servant and he is the king? See, if you're a follower of Christ, you have his Holy Spirit in your heart. But do you continue to live a self-willed life by the flesh? See, we need to recognize that I'm not that different from these guys. Left to myself, I will always choose myself. There is a big part of me that still craves the throne of my life and will do anything to keep me there. We must recognize that we need rescue from the prison of ourselves. For when the motivation of our hearts is to serve ourselves, we will live futile, frustrated lives. Well, that was the chief priests and teachers of the law. What about Pontius Pilate? My second point. See, if the Jewish leaders craved power, Pilate craved peace. Little background on Pilate. He was appointed uh, in AD 26 uh, by the Emperor Tiberius to be the governor of Judea, and he held the post until AD 37. And Jerusalem was not a desirable post because the Jews were constantly revolting against uh, the Emperor. It wasn't a plum appointment. Well, Pilate wanted to do things his way, so right away, as he became uh, the uh, the governor he uh, when he came into the Jerusalem he brought the Roman standards with the image of the emperor into the city, which incensed the Jews, and they uh, and they had a literal sit down strike. They surrounded the house of Pilate, and sat down in the street and refused to move for five days. Finally, Pilate called in the troops and said, "If you don't move, I'm going to send my soldiers off uh, out and cut off your heads." The Jews then laid back and stretched out their necks awaiting execution. Pilate finally backed down and removed the standards from the city. So Pilate's not a happy camper with the Jews. Later, Pilate tried again. He brought in shields of the emperor into the holy place, which was sacrilege, and the people gathered in protest. And in fact, the four sons of Herod sent a protest to the emperor, and the emperor himself commanded Pilate to respect the Jews' religious freedom and to remove the shields. Once again, Pilate was frustrated by the Jews, and he realized that his rule and his reign was on a hair trigger one false mistake, one bad leadership decision, and he would be deposed. And so Pilate examines Jesus. You are the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Notice how Jesus becomes the interrogator. Pilate thought Jesus was on trial before him, but Pilate was on trial before the judge of heaven and earth. What Jesus is saying to Pilate is, who do you think I am? And Pilate says, look, am I a Jew? Your own nation has delivered, yourself to, uh, delivered you over to me. What have you done? In other words, what do I care who you are? You are not my problem. Pilate is standing before the son of God, and he doesn't want to go there. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I would not have been delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Now, I'm sure this is very unexpected to Pilate. I think Pilate thought that Jesus would grovel and ask for his life because it hangs in the balance before Pilate, but Jesus doesn't do that at all. Instead, he says, my kingship is of a different order. It's not from here. And my kingdom is not like your kingdom, Pilate. It's not built on violence and blood and war. It's not an earthly kingdom in that respect. Now, Jesus' statement should not be misconstrued as meaning that his kingdom is not active in this world and has nothing to do with this world. Did not Jesus say, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me? But Pilate isn't trying to figure out Jesus and who he is and what he's saying. He's only hearing one thing, that this man is not a threat. He doesn't have an army, doesn't have a political motive. Nothing bad is going to happen with this guy to my rule and reign. I can write him off. So Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. And for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The NIV puts it this way. You are right in saying I am a king. In other words, Jesus acknowledges, yes, I am a king. Indeed, I was born to be a king and to bear witness to the truth. Now, wasn't Jesus already a king? Indeed, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he wasn't a king as a man. As the God man, as the representative of us. And so he was born to be our king. And notice that the exercise of his saving kingship is indistinguishable from his testifying to the truth. So, what does it mean when he says that I came to testify to the truth? It's the truth of who God is disclosed in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the truth of the rebellion and judgment of humanity against God and the freedom and redemption that comes from salvation through Jesus Christ. See, the truth that Jesus spoke was the principal way that he would make subjects and exercise his kingship in the world. Remember Jesus saying, I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. (laughs) To hear the truth of the gospel, to become saved and become followers of Jesus Christ. But notice how Pilate responds to Jesus' self-disclosure. He doesn't say, tell me more. He doesn't say, I don't understand. He says, what is truth? The man on trial invites his judge to be his follower, to align himself with those who are of the truth. And Pilate abruptly turns away, either because he has become convinced there is no answer or more likely because he just doesn't want to hear it. See, Pilate's question was the response of someone who had given up hope of finding truth in a world of skepticism. We see that after this, he went back outside to the Jews and he said, I find no guilt in him. He renders judgment. He says, this man is innocent of the charges. But then he says, I mean, shouldn't it be so he can go, right? He's innocent. But instead, he says, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? See, Pilate is giving the people a can't-miss comparison choice between Jesus and Barabbas, who is labeled a notorious prisoner. In other words, he's absolutely positive they're going to choose Jesus when compared to Barabbas. See, Pilate is a politician, and he always loves to get out of decision-making. If he can sit on the fence and please both sides, he will be the winner. But the people surprise him, don't they? He's outwitted by the chief priests, and he has to make a a choice. And so he makes the choice that he thinks is best for him. He's oh so wrong, isn't he? See, Pilate is basically saying, look, I have my life. The status quo is all that I seek. I'm really not interested to see the truth or respond to it. What would happen to Pontius Pilate's life if he had heard and responded and followed Jesus? Jesus? he would have found the source of life instead of trying to maintain his sorry excuse for a life. He could have traded his life of expediency for a life of true peace. See, Pilate is just like the world. We live in an age where truth is put down and people say truth is whatever you want it to be and whatever you believe is true for you even if your truth and my truth are exact opposites, because truth really doesn't matter. It's no longer objective. And there's no place for someone like Jesus that comes to testify to the truth. If I believe that there's no truth, I'm going to go ahead and make my own, like Pilate. Whatever makes my life convenient and comfortable so I can ignore God. I love C.S. Lewis's quote that a man can no more dis- diminish God's glory by refusing to worship Him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word "darkness" on the walls of his cell. It makes me think of the story of David Livingstone. I don't know if you've heard that name before. David Livingstone was a physician, a doctor, and a missionary. Uh, that went to Africa and spent decades and decades in Africa sharing the gospel with the African people. His heart was so passionate for Africa that he asked when he, uh, when he died that his heart would be cut out and buried in Africa because that's where his heart was. And he became somewhat a, of a hero or of, uh, of a popular status in London. Now, Before um, Livingston went to Africa, he had a friend of his, and his friend had gone through medical school with him. And and as uh, Livingston was getting ready to go to Africa, his friend said to him, listen, David, you're a physician. I'm a physician. We have the opportunity to make a very good living here in London. And so just forget all of that business about Africa open up a practice with me and let's do wonderful things here. Let's live a life of comfort and ease and prosperity. But Livingston said, no, my heart is called by God. I don't know what awaits me, but that's where I'm going to go. And so as there was this a large funeral for David Livingston in London, and and people lined up, you know, around the block before he was to be interned in Westminster Abbey. Somebody saw this man, this friend of Livingston's, uh, sitting on the side of the road weeping. And he was touched because he knew that they had been friends all the way back then. And and he went to him and he said, "I, I see that you're so sad and about the death of your friend David Livingston. And the man said, that isn't the reason that I'm crying. The reason that I'm crying is I'm just recognizing that I have wasted my entire life. Now I'm not saying that God is calling each one of us to go to Africa, but I'm not saying he's not. See, if you are not a Christian, Jesus stands before you today with the same question he had for Pilate. Who do you say I am? And like Pilate, you must decide that he is Lord and not me. But if you are a Christian, I want you to be challenged by Pontius Pilate. For he chose a life of expediency over a life of faith. And if you want to follow Jesus, you cannot have both. You cannot follow Jesus as long as he does not bother my status quo. You cannot say that I want to live the way I want to live, a comfortable life, and I will follow Jesus as long as he doesn't rock my boat. And as long as he contributes to my well-being, all will be fine. For Jesus is the king and he is the truth. And to follow him means all of my life revolves around him. He is the one who leads me. To follow Jesus means to follow Jesus. Whenever, wherever, however. It's his word that determines how I live and his pleasure and kingdom is what I live for. Pilate wouldn't do that. Will we? For when the motivation of my heart is to serve and love Jesus above all else, my actions will align with my heart. This brings me to Barabbas, my final point. Barabbas is a little harder. You know, Barabbas never speaks, does he? So I have to guess and wonder and draw some conclusions about what I think was going on in Barabbas' heart. Remember, Barabbas was in prison awaiting crucifixion. It's said in some of the other gospel accounts that Barabbas was a notorious prison prisoner. That word's only used a couple of times in the scriptures. He had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. Now, if Barabbas was just a freedom fighter for Israel, the crowds would have been happy to release him, and Pilate wouldn't have done this uh, sort of bargain he tried to put into place because he knew so. No, Barabbas was a murderer, he was uh, an insurrectionist, and it also says that he was a robber, one who seizes the plunder. Barabbas was a bad seed. Maybe once he was a freedom fighter of some sort, but a life of crime had hardened Barabbas. Barabbas was about one thing, Barabbas. And both the Romans and the Jews were alike in their hatred of Barabbas. Now, he was sentenced to be crucified, which is only done for the worst of criminals. And that's because it's a brutal way to die. You know, you're not killed by the nails in your hands and being hung up on a cross. You're actually killed by asphyxiation. They drill these nails in your hands and your feet, and they put you up on this cross, and when they drop the cross, it actually dislocates your shoulders. And so your your lungs collapse, and in order to breathe, you have to push up on your feet. But you get more and more tired, and eventually you asphyxiate and die. And if it takes too long for you to die, they take a big club and they swipe at your knees and they break your legs. So then you can't raise up and die. The word excruciating literally means out of the cross. Pilate knows what's coming. And there's evidence that shows that people who are to be executed cannot escape from thinking about what faces them. For example, if someone's going to be hanged, it is the testimony of those who have observed that they cannot keep their hands away from their throats. And if a person is going to the gas chamber, they practice holding their breath so long that their eyes almost pop out because they know that they only have a few breaths left. And so this is Barabbas waiting in his cell. And the door swings open. And he hears the words Barabbas. You are free. One has taken your place. His name is Jesus. Imagine what Barabbas is feeling. You know, Barabbas occupies a unique position in the world. He's the only man who can ever say in the physical sense alone, Christ died for me. It's easy to see that Barabbas doesn't need to be a theologian to understand atonement. He knew from experience what it was to be delivered and to have someone else take his place. I wonder, as Jesus was being crucified, if he went and he watched, from a distance probably, mind you, if he asked the question or noticed and thought, that should have been my cross. Those should have been my nails. I wonder if 50 days later, when Peter was proclaiming the gospel in the very city uh, where they had run, uh, where Jesus had been crucified, if he was one of those 3,000 that was baptized and decided to follow Christ. Why did God include Barabbas in the scriptures? I think he included him so that there would be hope for you and me, for the chief priests and the pilots of the world, for those who live for themselves, for power and for peace, for that's the type of people that Jesus came from, came for And so we too must see Jesus through the eyes of Barabbas. I was a prisoner of judgment, and I have been set free. That should have been my cross, and those should have been my nails. And so the question before us as I close is this. What are we to do with our freedom? See, Jesus came to not only free us from the prison of sin, he came to free us from the prison of self. Left to myself, I will always choose me. But Jesus' spirit lives in me. Barabbas was given a new life, literally. But we have been given a new life spiritually. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? And we were buried with him through baptism and death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in the newness of life. So how do we live a God-centered life, the life we were made to live? First, we remember his grace, what he did for us on the cross and then we respond by surrendering to Jesus moment by moment by saying to him not my will but your be yours be done you are in charge I close with this quote by a W Tozer that in every Christians heart there is a cross and a throne and the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of our soul and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar but we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. We were made for more. And when Jesus is on the throne, he will lead us in the life that he has made us to live. So we have three paths to choose, the chief priests, Pilate, or Barabbas. I'll take Barabbas. For when the motivation of my heart is to serve and love Jesus above all else, my actions will align with my heart. Let's pray. Jesus, you came to our rescue when we were in the prison of sin and self. And you have freed us from the condemnation, the penalty of sin, but you came to do so much more. You came to give us new life in you by faith here through your resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, help us to choose that which we were meant to be and do, to surrender our lives moment by moment to your kingship, to live for your pleasure. For this is the truth. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.